This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Well, good morning, Anchor Church. Great to be back here online. Actually, it's not great to be back, to be honest. Sunday was so good. Uh, I, I actually genuinely loved Sunday. Even though it was a bit emotionally overwhelming, I think I went home and just crashed on the couch afterwards. I was so exhausted. But it was so good to be back together. But here we are in this virtual space online, and we are so glad that you've joined us. Wherever you're watching from this morning, whether you're a part of a church at home, house church, or whether you're watching by yourself, we're so glad that you've tuned in today as we continue our series in the book of Psalms called Sell Our Songs in the Waiting. So I'm going to pray for us as we dive into God's Word together. Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that your promises are certain, sure, and true. And yet, Lord, we know that we live um, in a world where we experience all sorts of seasons of life. And in particular, we experience seasons of spiritual dryness, um, seasons where we feel like we are drowning under the circumstances of difficulty and trial. And we thank you that the Psalms gives us words, gives us prayer to be able to pray back to you. So we ask that you'd speak powerfully by your spirit now. And we pray it in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Well, I remember very distinctly, actually, as I entered my second year of Bible college, second year of theological education, uh, I took a massive dip in my spiritual um, vitality, in my spiritual joy and zeal, uh, walked through a pretty extended uh, season of spiritual dryness. Um, I remember just not having joy in all of the things that I used to have joy in, like uh, kids becoming Christians at youth group, or I remember reading my Bible and just thinking, there's nothing there. I remember um, praying and just feeling like it was such a chore, such a duty. Uh, and that season lasted for the, the best part of nine to 12 months. And it would coincide with a very lengthy season of, uh, of sickness. I had a chest infection for about four months. Uh, and it was a very, very difficult season of life to be in, particularly when you're at Bible college, the, you know, the supposed spiritual place. Um, and it seems to me that um, this season that we find ourselves in at the moment, 
Uh, I, I know, I've, as I've spoken to many of you, many of you are walking through a season of spiritual dryness. This has been a difficult season for you spiritually. Your rhythms, your routines have been disrupted. I mean, it took us eight months to worship together again at, at the factory as a large church and uh, and we've been missing that and and, and rightly so we, we you know we, we've been created for corporate worship of God together and so my question that I want to pose to us this morning as we look at Psalm 42 is how is your soul in this season how is your soul and maybe this has been a season for you where you are thriving under pressure you're thriving under change and uh, and, and great, but maybe you're not. Maybe this is a season of difficulty, of dryness, uh, a season where you're questioning whether or not God is with you. And the question I want to ask this morning is, what should we do with a discouraged soul? How do we process a, a, a soul, a spirit that feels weighed down and discouraged by the season of life we're in by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, I'm sure that we can identify with this experience that the psalmist is in. And if you're not, if you can't identify with a, a difficult season, a season of spiritual dryness, then perhaps you're still in the honeymoon period of your faith. And let me assure you, the season lies ahead. It is coming. But the psalmist recounts with fairly honest reflection here in these verses how he feels. And, and what he describes uh, in these verses is uh, what I've called a season of dryness and a season of drowning. A season of dryness and a season of drowning. And perhaps both of those seasons are mixed together. Because it's often the case that um, when life feels like it is overwhelming, that we also experience a sense of spiritual distance with God. This is a lament. This is the psalmist crying out to God. This is how I feel. This is what he says in verse 1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. There's a very vivid metaphor that this psalm opens with the, the picture of a deer that is either in a season of drought or is running from a predator who's trying to kill it. And this animal longs to stop and have a drink from a flowing stream of water. And the psalmist says, this is an apt description for my soul in this season. He's thirsty. He's yearning for God. He desires God's presence. He wants to be close to God again. And yet instead of having this soul-quenching thirst satisfied in God's presence, he has experienced the salty taste of tears as his diet, as he weeps night and day. And to add insult to injury, his enemies taunt him and mock him with a haunting question that he actually, deep down in his heart, wonders if it's true. And the question they ask is, where is your God? Surely your God has abandoned you. Surely if your God is a good God, you wouldn't be walking through this season. Where is 
your God. And the psalmist begins to think to himself, maybe that's true. Maybe God has abandoned me. And this sense of distance that he feels here, that he speaks of, is not just a spiritual reality for him. This is actually a physical reality. You see, the psalmist is away from the temple. He's either in exile, this is a psalm written after God's people have been dragged away into Babylonian captivity, or he's away from the temple because of sickness and he cannot participate in temple corporate worship. You'll see there in verse 2, he says, When shall I stand before you? When can I come into your presence? When can I dwell in the temple, in the presence of Yahweh, of God? He casts his mind back and he rem- remembers those moments where he was able to do that. The moments of corporate worship there in verse 4 that he speaks of. You see, the psalmist here was a worship leader. He would lead God's people at the head of the procession with shouts of praise, with joyful worship, with, uh, with exuberant, overflowing joy and worship of God. And he casts his mind back and he remembers, but they're but distant memories for him. Because it's not his current experience. And so as he remembers, it only adds to his sense of despair and reminds him of the gap between his present reality and where he wishes he was. You know, last week was our first in-person gathering in uh, 217 days. Um, And I don't know about you, but uh, I remember as, as the band got up to lead worship as we hummed and watched worship take place and participated without using our words um, as I looked through a teary lens of my own I saw many people in the room wiping tears of joy and of longing from their eyes it had been so long since we experienced this moment together and it was but a taste of what it used to be that that experience that we felt last week of of longing for something that we have missed for so long is where the psalmist is located. He longs to be back with God's people, worshipping together, leading them in joyful worship. And so the psalm then turns from this lament as the psalmist begins to counsel himself and talk to his own soul. Have a look at what it says in verse 5. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you downcast? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You get the sense here that the psalmist is genuinely fighting for hope. He's wrestling with his soul, a bit of self-talk here. Soul, hang in there. Hang in there. There is a time in the future where you will experience this again. But for now, he feels dry. Well, if the first experience, the first emotion there that this psalmist encounters is dryness, the second is one of drowning. Have a look at what it says in verse 7. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? From a lack of H2O to now too much water, this psalmist experiences the threatening, drowning power of water. And he, he harks back there as he uses that phrase as deep calls to deep. That's a, that's a throwback to Genesis 1, the chaos of the waters of Genesis 1. He talks about waves and breakers crashing over his head and pinning him down and threatening to carry him away and drowning. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I shaped my very own surfboard with a good friend of mine. And uh, we shaped it uh, for our church youth group camp. We would take a number of uh, young kids away up the North Coast to surf for a week and teach them about Jesus. And we shaped these mini mouths. It wasn't quite a full nine foot long mouth, but it was a mini mouth. It was about seven and a half foot long. And we'd made it ourselves with our own hands, carved it, fiberglassed it, all of that kind of stuff. And we took them early up the coast. We set up this huge marquee for the camp and we went out for a surf. And as we walked out on the beach, what became very evident to me was that the surf was huge. It was probably the biggest surf I had ever surfed in. And we were about to go out on boards that we had never tested and tried before. Up until that point, I'd only ever really surfed short boards. And I wasn't the most confident surfer in Big, in big Swell at the best of times. But we, we, we sized up these waves. They were probably, and uh, I don't think this is an exaggeration, probably about eight foot. And uh, we, I literally prayed. We prayed on the beach that God would keep us safe. Um, and the waves were breaking kind of in two stages. The, the waves were so big that they were breaking where they would normally break. And then even further out, they were breaking further out. So me and my friend both paddled out and off we went. And after about 30 minutes of trying to get under the waves, what I had to do every time, because this board was so big, I had to roll it over and using my full 65 kilos of body weight, try and pull this board down as we went under the waves. Very different from a normal duck dive with a short board. And after about 30 minutes of paddling, I finally managed to crack that first set of waves to get out a little bit further. And as I came through and started paddling, a giant set rolled in on me. And I got caught in a zone of what surfers called getting caught inside. It's that it's that little bit of zone, you know, it's too, you're not far enough out to paddle out to get over the wave, but you're not close enough into the shore to paddle to catch the wave. You're in the impact zone where the waves crash. And this monster wave just crashed straight on top of me and it threw me and it pummeled me down and I had no idea where the top was, where the bottom was. My board was being dragged, my leg rope was pulling on my leg and I was scrambling to try and find the top. And after what felt like a minute underwater, I poked my head up to see the next wave come and do the exact same thing. Push me down, force me under the water. And when you're in that moment, everything in you wants to fight to try and get to the top, but you actually need to relax. And after three or four waves, absolutely smashing me. I managed to find myself to the board. I clung onto it sideways as the next wave just threw me into shore. And I was, I was fighting so hard to try and stay on the board that my legs started cramping. By the time I crawled back to the sand, I was so exhausted, I nearly passed out. That is the experience 
that this psalmist is in. Now, I wonder if that's you right now. Anyone feeling pressed down, feeling completely weighed down, overwhelmed, exhausted? Does anyone feel like that? That life is against you? Now, oceans in biblical literature uh, represent chaos, represent disorder, out of control. And I wonder if anyone's life feels like that at the moment, out of control, in utter turmoil. And maybe you can keep it together on the outside, but on the inside, it feels like chaos. Trial is followed by difficulty, which is compounded by sickness and then multiplied by pressure at work or at uni or at home. And it's relentless. And wave after wave comes and the holiday didn't fix it and the 3.49 p.m. wine doesn't fix it. And it's killing you. It's crushing you. That is the psalmist's experience. Now you can tell here that he is fighting for hope. He's wrestling with his soul. He's longing for the presence of God. In verse 8 there, he calls to remembrance the hesed love of God. the, The unconditional, covenantal, steadfast love of the Lord. And he says there that surely the Lord's love is with me. That there is a rock, that there is an island somewhere in this ocean of turmoil and chaos for me to cling to, for me to find refuge in. But can he find it? Well, verse 9, he says, God, my rock, you may be out there, but why have you forgotten me? I don't know if you've ever experienced those moments where you know something to be true, but your circumstances... Uh, or or perhaps even your feelings, um, just seem to contradict that truth that you know is there. Like you know God loves you, but the season of difficulty and trial and suffering just are screaming at you. God doesn't love you anymore. You know that God is all present, but it feels like you're in a wilderness that is far from his presence. That's where the psalmist sat. He's wrestling. You get this sense he's kind of flopping between despair and then clinging for some skerrick of hope. You know, often we're reminded, and we as preachers remind you all the time, don't trust your feelings. And there's wisdom in that. It's true, right? Our feelings are often very poor guides. But yet that doesn't mean that we suppress them. It doesn't mean that we deny them. Just because feelings are a poor guide doesn't mean that we ignore them and pretend that we're okay. You see, the Psalms, the entire book of Psalms, are God's words that he has given to us in order for us to pray back to him. And so the fact that God has allowed these words to be inspired and spoken and recorded and are in our Bibles means that God is okay with a prayer like this. That God is okay with an inner soul that wrestles honestly before God. He wants to hear our hearts. The Bible never calls us to be fake. And so what that means for us at Anchor is that it means that we don't do pretend. We're real. We strive for authentic, genuine community where we don't have this veneer of spiritual chipper happiness where underneath the surface our lives are chaotic and turmoil. We are real with each other. But yet somehow... We need a handle. In the midst of a season like that, we need something to hold on to to help us figure out how to navigate a season like that. How do we walk through a season of life 
where our souls are discouraged, where we're experiencing persecution or pressure from our workplace and perhaps even our family, where we're experiencing suffering, where we experience a loss of the joy of the presence of the Lord, of the joy of our salvation. How do we do it? Well, I want to point you to a couple of things that the psalmist does here in Psalm 42. The first thing he does is that he remembers. He remembers, he recalls. And the second thing he does is he talks, he tells. So firstly, remembering. Have a look. In verse 6, he says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. My soul is discouraged. My soul is weighed down. I feel spiritually distant from you, God. Therefore, I remember you. Now, remembering, according to the Hebrew Bible, is not just private, kind of mental recalling of things. But it's, as one scholar said, it's continuous communal rehearsal of divine faithfulness that calls us to action. That's the type of remembering that he's talking about here. In verse 4, he will remember his experience of corporate worship where he led the throng of God's people in, in a joyous festival of praise. He will remember how he led God's people in worship. And that's what corporate worship does. That's why worshiping together like that on Sunday was so good for our souls. And it was good for mine, and I'm guessing it was good for many of you. Because when we cannot possibly worship, the church so often worships for us and, and, and catches us up in its worship and declares truth that perhaps we have forgotten or cast away. And it helps us remember. The second thing that he does is he talks, he tells, he tells God how he feels. This is a raw, real, honest prayer. But he also tells himself a number of things. He engages in self-talk and he questions his feelings. Now, in our Western context, in our hyper-self, hyper-me, um, individual expressionism kind of world that we live in, feelings are gospel. Like feelings, you never question your feelings in our world, right? In our Western world. And see, what happens when we don't have a doctrine of sin is that we elevate our, the human feeling, the human interior life to a level of perfection. And we believe that we are inherently good. The psalmist does the exact opposite. The psalmist questions his feelings. You see what he says? He says, why soul? Why are you downcast? Why do you feel like this? And then he begins to give his soul a good talking to. He says, hope in God. This season will end. Surely you will praise the Lord again. Hang in there, my soul. Don't give up. Now I think if we're probably honest with ourselves and each other, much of our self-talk, much of the inner narrative of our, our lives is negative and defeatist. We need to learn the art of biblical self-talk, of biblical self-questioning, of perhaps the lies that the enemy puts there, or, or the doubts that arise in our hearts as we walk through a season of difficulty and trial. We need to give ourselves a good talking to. But you know, the reality of this psalm is that it doesn't finish on a high note. There's no resolution 
at the end of Psalm 42. You know, the, um, the reason that Hollywood ends nearly all of its movies with happy endings is that because as humans, we, we, we long for this resolution to every story. And now, I don't know, there's often movies where you think, man, that, that ending just feels wrong. It just shouldn't have ended like that. It was too unrealistic to end that movie well, to end on a happy ending. Well, this psalm has no resolution. It has no, you know, blissful ending. Like it doesn't finish with the psalmist back in church praising God. And I think we struggle with that. I think, I think we wrestle with stories that don't resolve themselves, particularly in the West. That's why we like Job, right? We like Job because Job loses everything, but he gets it all back in the end, right? And, and we secretly hope that that would be our story. But the reality is life isn't always like that. Right? It's not like we just flick on a worship song and all of a sudden our problems are gone and, and we feel close to God again. And it just doesn't work like that. And so this psalm gives us a reality check. You see, more than deliverance from trial, more than change of circumstance, what the psalmist wants is God. He wants God's presence. And it's not until you actually get to Psalm 42, which most people believe Psalm 42, sorry, Psalm 43. Most people believe Psalm 42, 43 were originally one psalm together that, that got separated. It's not until you get to Psalm 43 that the psalmist begins to ask God to deliver him. You see, if we just take Psalm 42 by itself, you see the psalmist yearning for God's presence. And so my question is, do we want our deliverance? Do we want to be freed from our difficulty and our trial and the things that make us uncomfortable more than we want to experience the presence of God? The seasons of life that we go in are often used by God to wean us off our comfort and our self-sufficiency and to cause us to cling to him in dependence. And often, not always, but often, God is doing something good in the midst of our difficulty. Are we willing, I wonder, to thirst for a season that God would develop appetite in us for more of him? That God would deepen our appreciation of his presence of the joy of our salvation that that we would pray a, a dangerous prayer like god if i have to if i have to stay under the water for me to remember what it like to breathe again and the reality is that your soul cannot live without god whether you're a person of faith or not your soul cannot live without god every single one of us we have been created to worship God. That's why we yearn for stuff like this. That's why we, we long. That's why we have these experiences of, of longing and yearning for more than what life has to offer us. And Jesus is the one who comes and says this in John 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is all satisfying. He is good. He wants to fill us. And we need to come to him. But perhaps your season of life right now is one of convincing your soul not to give up. And if that's you, 
we want to say, hang in there. We love you. We're praying for you, church. Everyone who's struggling, uh, if that's you, then I'd love to personally connect with you this week. So please shoot me an email, matt at anchorchurch.com.au or uh, DM me on one of my social media platforms. We'd love to be praying for you in this season, to walk alongside you because we know that these seasons, these seasons like this are difficult and we would love to walk alongside you and bless you and care for you. Well, bless you, church. Love you guys. Let me pray for you as we head to worship. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you are with us, that you're near even when we don't feel it. God, help us to wrestle with our feelings. Help us learn the the art of biblical self-talk, that we would talk to our souls, that we would lecture our souls, that we would preach the good news to our hearts. God, I pray for every person who is in a season of difficulty, trial, and struggling, that circumstances are pressing them. And I pray that you would help them to hang in there. And I ask it in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen.